Welcome. You've joined the Sexy Lifestyle with Carol and David. Our show is here to help you achieve better, better love, better sex, and a better, more intimate relationship. Are you ready? Take notes and send us your questions. This is the Sexy Lifestyle. Now, here are your hosts, Carol and David. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sexy Lifestyle Podcast. We are Stephanie and Fox from Evolve Your Intimacy, sitting in for Carol and David. We are a sexual health education and guidance center where you learn to educate, enlighten, and evolve your intimacy. Are you ready to spice up your sex life? Well, you've come to the right place because that is what the sexy lifestyle is all about. We are passionate about making your sex life the best it can be by discussing everything about relationships, sexual health, sex, intimacy, and pleasure. We love discussing the naughty, the taboo, and the unknown with our top experts in the industry and hope that our conversations will open up your dialogue for great sex. Because great sex matters and we all deserve it. Hey guys, this is Stephanie. Very excited because I get to bring to you guys again one of my dear friends and very amazing colleague. Dr. Holly is one of North America's leading sex therapists. She's been on our show before. She serves women, men, and couples and gender diverse individuals for relationship and sexuality issues. She counsels a wide range of clients, including Hollywood's elite and prominent corporate clientele. Woo! She offers consultation services with psychotherapy interns and other therapists as well. Now, her sex positive approach is all sex is good sex as long as it's consensual and pleasurable. And guys, she has been one of our listener favorites on our show and I absolutely love that because she is a treat to have on the show, of course. But my heart also hurts because that means a lot of our listeners are dealing with some personal trauma, sexual trauma, or you you know somebody who has sexual trauma. But before we dive into the rabbit hole with Dr. Holly Richmond talking about sexual trauma and reclaiming your pleasure, we must take a quick commercial break. Let's take a moment to talk about the top waterproof blanket because great sex is messy sex, but no one wants to sleep in that wet spot. If you're fed up with having to change your sheets every time you have sex, then you need your own top waterproof blanket. It's 100% waterproof and leak-proof, and it guarantees to keep your bed and mattress dry no matter how wet it gets. From messy massage oils or silicone lubes to all sorts of sexy wetness, just throw it in the washer and dryer and it comes out looking like brand new. You don't have to leave your house to get one. Simply and safely go to Amazon and order yours today. Search Top Waterproof Blanket. That is T-O-P Waterproof Blanket. Great sex starts now. Today we're going to be talking about her new book, Reclaiming Pleasure, a sex-positive guide for moving past sexual trauma and living a passionate life. I was gifted a copy of this before, um, well, I, I mean, I'm sure it went out on the shelves, but I was gifted a copy of it and I'm pretty excited about it and I've read it and it has really opened my eyes on a lot of stuff. Guys, I've been really open and honest about my own sexual trauma and how I've healed from it. And so let's just get Dr. Holly in here and on our show because we have got to explore this book a little bit and tell you more about it. Dr. Holly, thank you for joining us. Hey, Stephanie, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me back. It's always so much fun to be with you. It is so much fun to have you. And I, you are one of our listener favorites. And while I am extremely excited about that, it breaks my heart. 
I, I get it. I get it. One out of every four women, one out of every nine men, um, and an even higher proportion of non-binary and transgender identified people have experienced sexual trauma in their lifetime. That, I mean, when you're in the thick of it and you, you know, I knew as a clinician, I know those, those figures, but as a survivor, that's hard to imagine that there's other people out there, that it's not just me. And your book provides these wonderful reflection opportunities. I have not been able, I wanted to read the books because I knew you were coming on and I wanted to have it all read and I haven't been able to personally do the reflections yet, which I plan on fully. I, I just feel like it is groundbreaking. Like this, this book is going to change a lot of lives. It just, oh, I'm trying to take that in. Um, it means the world to me that you say that. Um, you know me well enough to know my heart is mm -hmm. in this book. It's it's a lot of words on a page, um, but it is so much heart and soul and what I've been doing for the past 14 years. So, you know, it's just, I'm glad that it's out there living in the world. And it's in your, I mean, I know it's in your voice, but it's in, yeah. it's not in that clinician's People think that we're stuffy and, you know, we know it all, but this is a real down to earth. Like, let's just talk about it. This is not, we're not going to throw a bunch of clinician, clinical words at you. We're just going to talk about it. And I love that style of writing that you do. Oh, thank you. Um, and you're, a few other people have said, oh my gosh, Holly, I hear your voice in, mm -hmm. in this. So I'm glad that that has come through. Um, I really, I feel like this book needed to kind of set the bar. So we all knew what we were working from. And from there we can build up and go as, clinical or theoretical as we want to, but I wanted there to be something. So we're really understanding what sexual trauma is, what sexual health is, how those two things live in opposition to each other, and then where to go from there to make our lives better. Ah, that's so true. So I'm just going to, I have so many questions. Mm -hmm. Let's start with cultivating clarity. It's one of the, one of the chapters, titles of your chapters, something like that. It's, 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 it's a point in your book. And you talk yeah. about ha not having the words to express what happened to you after a sexual trauma. Why is it so critical for us to be able to communicate in order to pursue recovery? Because if we don't have a good sense of what happened, we really don't know what we're recovering from. We only know that we feel bad, but mm -hmm. we don't have a good grasp on what we feel bad about. So we use the words sexual trauma, or something even more specific like rape or sexual abuse or sexual violence. But oftentimes those don't connect to our experience. So I feel like, um, you know, this, that first chapter in the book is really, um, it's, it's dense. It's definition dense. It um, there's, there's a lot to take in, but words inform our experience as the great Esther Perel said. Mm -hmm. So we, we have to really know what we're talking about be able to live into it and then move on from it. You, one of the most powerful sentences in that first chapter to me is sexual trauma in particular is a wound that expands in isolation. Mm. Can you explain what that means to our listeners? Yeah. And it goes back to your first question. If we don't know what happened, we're certainly not going to be able to talk about it. So it just goes inward. Mm -hmm. um, and as it goes inward, that shame expands because we feel like we're the only one. We feel like we are the most broken. And this gets really confusing if we have that story in our head that, oh, my sexual trauma wasn't bad, wasn't that bad. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm doing air quotes here. Yes. Oh, it wasn't that bad. I didn't have any 
bruises. I wasn't cut. Um, you know, it, it just, it couldn't have been that bad. You remember that girl that she, this happened to her and we do all of this crazy comparing in our head. So when that process happens, when we don't have the words to talk about it, we feel like we're the only one and we try to minimize our experience. It just, it becomes this big circle of isolation. Minimizing that experience. I, I hear that so often. I see that with so many people and I'm going to say people at this point because you talked about having dense vocabulary and you did some great clarification. And while there is a lot of words that I want that are clarified in here, the two that I want to hit is the difference between a survivor and a victim. Because for so long, I I identified as a victim because that's that's just what I was. I was a victim of sexual abuse and I just moved on. And I never really claimed that title of survivor. And honestly, I didn't claim it until I read your book and I've been a therapist for years but it wasn't something that I felt like I could claim until I read this. So to you, talk to us about the difference between a survivor and a victim. Yes, Um, and I'm gonna preface this just with a little bit of context. For some clinicians, they do use the word victim, and I'm certainly not here to tell anybody what to do, but in my work with with people, I use the term survivor. Mm -hmm. So you'll often hear victim in a legal setting, um, so, or with law enforcement, Um, You would certainly hear the word victim if someone did not survive a case of sexual trauma, sexual violence. But for me, in a clinical setting, if I'm sitting with someone and I keep referring to them, sorry, if I'm sitting with someone in a clinical setting and I keep referring to them as a victim, they are going to internalize that word. They are going to hear that again and again, and it becomes pathologizing. It's not a word of hope. It feels like a word that's stuck to me. Um, Whereas survivor, uh, yes, you got through something incredibly hard. Here you are now in this present moment, and what can we do to move this forward? The very next page on that, after after you define that and you do your clarify, clarifying terms, reflections, is you are not your trauma. Being able to name what happened to you will help create stability within you. You will begin to feel a separation between yourself and your experience. You are not your trauma. That is hearing that, reading that, internalizing that is powerful because we're not our trauma, but so many times we are made to feel like, you know, it is us. For a female, you know, you shouldn't have worn that or you shouldn't have flirted with that guy or you shouldn't have done this or that or whatever. And I I guess that's where I began to think I was a victim because, you know, what did I do to bring this on to me? It was Mm -hmm. my mindset. But being able to say that I'm not my trauma and I am a survivor because I didn't bring that on, I didn't ask for it, that is, uh. It's, it's actually a lot freeing. It kind of gave me a lot of, um, it let go of a lot of anxiety, I guess is the best way to say it for me. Mm, I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. So yeah, we, we take on this view of I am my trauma because in some way it was my fault. Society does the survivor blaming piece. Mm-hmm. And then what if we're living with symptoms? Like what if we're living with emotional, physical, relational, or sexual symptoms? Those are hard to ignore, mm-hmm. right? You, you, so this, it's a, it's, um, it just becomes this amalgamation of moving through the world, you know, as if that that trauma is still happening. Um, and you know, you're mm-hmm. probably going here, um, but it's, you know, so much of this work is about separating the past from the present. 
That is a very hard concept. It And I don't know personally any other life without my sexual trauma because mine began at the age of four. Is that a hard concept for just people in general to understand? It, it is. And you're right. For people who suffered childhood sexual abuse, it's really hard because there's not really another reality. Mm-hmm. Right. For me, I use it mostly that mantra that was then this is now that was then this is now to ground you in the present moment. Because many survivors, they're either in the shame and depression and guilt of the past, reliving those traumatic moments, or they're projected into the anxiety and worry about the future, about what might happen. When I see people, they're often not with me. Do you know what I mean? Like I can feel that they're not present. They're somewhere else because they're so guarded. So bringing you into this present moment is really about that, knowing that you are here now, you are safe and you are able to take care of yourself. Yeah. Is that kind of what you mean by letting yourself off the hook? Letting yourself off the hook, that's part of it. But letting yourself off the hook is where you were a few minutes ago of, I didn't deserve this. I didn't do anything to bring it on. Um, So Stephanie, in the book, we talk about the four trauma responses, fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. Mm -hmm. Whichever one you chose, it was the perfect one to choose. And I know that because you're sitting here in front of me and you're okay, Mm -hmm. right? But But the narrative becomes, why didn't I scream? No. Why didn't I fight back? Why didn't I run away? Why didn't I try harder to get myself out of that? I just froze or I was nice to this person. Well, you froze and you were nice to the person because that was the safest thing you could have done in the moment, mm-hmm. right? So letting ourselves off the hook means we put the blame and shame where it belongs, which is on the perpetrator and not on ourselves. You are only raped or you were only abused because there was a perpetrator present, not because of anything you did. Yeah, and that's, that's hard to understand, especially when it happens for extended period of time and extended uh, childhood sexual abuse and you think, well, I must be doing something because this is normal. I, for me, it was just normal. I thought everybody experienced that. I didn't realize that it wasn't normal until I was much older. And actually, I remember the day that I remember or found out it wasn't normal. I was at a friend's house spending the night with her. She was having a slumber party and we were talking about things and I brought it up and they looked at me like I had five heads. And I was like, what, this didn't, this isn't normal for you guys? And every single one of them were just, they just stopped. They were like, I don't even know what to say. I think we were like 10 or 11. And at that time I realized that, wow, this, this is, this is not normal. So it must be something with me. I must've done something. And I internalized that for years and years and years because I was a fawner. I needed to kind of make things better for everybody and just, let's just, sweep it under the rug. It's okay. We'll go back. And so much of that bleeds into my life today where I'm really trying to catch that and speak my feelings into truth and say, you know, this is, this is not right. Or I don't feel this way. And I'm not trying to just smooth everything over. So Mm. that's very, very hard. I know for some survivors to experience and to understand that it's okay to let yourself off the hook. This wasn't about you. This was about them. It, it was, it was. And, and Stephanie's sexual abuse in particular is almost never violent. Mm-hmm. It's almost always framed in more care, more attention, something special for you, our little secret, right? Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's not violent um, for, the, for the most part. So it just, it becomes even more confusing. And as a four-year-old 
eight year old, 10 year old, I mean, you just have no capacity to understand what's normal and what's not. Adults are supposed to be taking care of you, not abusing you. Yeah, absolutely. Is that the survivor trifecta? Why is it an important concept for survivors to understand in their healing journey? So shame, blame, and suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So let's start with the shame. So Brene Brown's work on shame is really, um, to to me, at the the forefront um, of how we understand it. But in general, guilt is I did something wrong. Shame is I am something wrong. Guilt is I made a mistake. Shame is I am a mistake. Guilt is about behavior. Shame is about self. Mm-hmm. That is completely misplaced for survivors. But in general, when there's anything that's sexual in nature, it often goes to shame because sexuality is, um, you know, we just, we don't talk about it openly. So it just has that direct line right inwards. We bury it, we swallow it, we cover it up until some way our body is like, nope, I'm not doing this anymore. This has to be set free. Mm-hmm. Um and then the, the blame, which you and I just talked about, it wasn't our fault at all. It was only the perpetrator's fault. So I love it when survivors come to this place where they can put that blame on their perpetrator because they always get angry. And I know when they are angry, they are in this beautiful phase of healing. Um, and sometimes they get scared. They're like, oh my gosh, am I going to be this angry forever? And and it, it's never like that. It can be weeks or it can be months, but I promise it, it kind of smooths out. Um, so, and, and the anger can feel disproportionate to what's happening. But again, to me, when I'm seeing that in my clients, it's a really good sign. When you say it can be disproportionate, what, what, can you tell us what that means? Yeah. Yeah. So let's say, um, somebody cut them off in traffic, but they have this huge anger response that they've never experienced before to that incident. So, you know, they wouldn't, you wouldn't think, okay, that was sure that can make you angry but it shouldn't make me this angry but the fact is that it's coming out instead of going in that's part of the integration and healing process does that happen when they start therapy and when they start talking about it or are we talking about when it's just we're just driving and we don't even know we just get angry yeah it's not it's not typically at the beginning of therapy it's it's a couple months in like you and i talking about this and putting shame where it belongs putting blame where it belongs I wish hearing those words would be enough to like jumpstart the process. Maybe it can jumpstart it, but it takes several weeks for that to begin to integrate and for survivors to really feel like, well, you know what? This isn't mine anymore. I'm so angry that I wasn't taken care of when I was a child. I'm so angry that my husband did this to me or my date did this to me or whoever it was. Um, So that that, again, those feelings are misplaced when they're with us and in our bodies and they, they get now to be externalized and projected outwards. This is some great information and we will be right back with Dr. Holly Richmond talking about sexual trauma and reclaiming your pleasure right after this commercial break. Now let's just tell everybody about Topless Travel and the amazing trips that we have planned for next year. Absolutely. And you know that Topless Travel provides the sexiest and most erotic vacations ever from Hito 2 in Jamaica to Desire in Cancun to all the Bliss Cruise experiences. Topless Travel is ours and needs to be your number one choice. And of course, their trips and events are all about the people and their sexy fun experiences. So let's just shout out to those sexy host couples, including Jessica and Justin and of course, Party Mar 
Hallmark, who are there to ensure that you have one hell of a sexy vacation. And you've heard many times that we do go on many of the topless travel trips, but listen up, the next Bliss Cruise in November is sold out. So is the takeover of Desire Pearl in October. And if you don't want to miss the biggest lifestyle party on the high seas, then you need to get a cabin on the April Bliss Cruise. You can join us on the Celebrity Summit from April 17th to 22nd, 2023. We're going to be there broadcasting our podcast live from the ship. We'd love to meet you there and maybe you could be on our podcast. Yeah, that'd be fun. So for more information about this trip or any of the topless travel events, you can go to thesexylifestyle.com and click on the topless travel events link to book the sexiest and most erotic vacation ever. Ever, ever, ever. It's the mindset, right? It's the survivor mindset versus the victim mentality. Yeah. And you talk about that in your book. You talk about the victim mindset mentality is my sexual trauma was the worst. Um, Why did this happen to me? I didn't deserve this. What happened to me was the worst. And is worse. uh, What happened to me is worse than what happened to them type of thing. And then there's the survivor mode, the survivor mindset where you're talking about my sexual trauma wasn't that bad. This happened, but it is what it is. How do, how do you find your clients coming to that switch? Like what sometimes clicks for them or what do you, do you have something that you do with them that helps them realize the difference between a survivor and the victim mode? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, I would say over 80% of the people I sit down with are kind of already in that survivor mindset where they're trying to minimize their trauma. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, like in some ways, the victims are in a better position that way because they're not internalizing it so bad. But the problem with the victim mindset is again, that it's stuck Mm -hmm. and they're so hold on to that victim mentality that they can't see their way out of it. Um, but again, for the survivor, it's yes, this was bad enough. So what I say in the book is victims sit squarely in, in how bad it was. Survivors sit squarely in how bad it wasn't, mm-hmm. right? So it's just for both coming to this place, this middle ground of integration where we know what was ours, what was theirs, what we can hold on to, and what we can leave behind. The survivor shame Mm-hmm. is, well, I would like for you to explain what survivor shame is, and then we'll, I'll ask my next question. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I feel like almost everybody in our society has some kind of shame, some kind of aspect of what I'm not enough of, what I'm not living up to, I should be doing better, doing more. Survivor shame is a particular beast in and of itself, though, because it's attached to our sexuality. And again, our, we don't have a good lens in our society for talking about sex or sexuality or sexual health. Mm. So again, this goes in and gets buried. Our sexuality gets repressed in some way or it becomes compulsive. Um, Steph, you know my perspective on sex. All sex is good sex as long as it's consensual or pleasurable. I don't care how much you're having, how much you're not having, who you're having it with. you're not having it with but i know if it's really constricted or really in chaos you're not in a good position with it Mm, yeah that survivor shame is a direct link between you and the behavior you so despise that you just don't like but it is that direct link and 
is there a way or something that the, the listeners can talk to themselves or say to themselves in order to start reducing that survivor shame? Mm. I think um, I think it might be chapter three where we're really starting to understand not only how our survivor response of fight, flight, freeze, fawn saved us, but also how our symptoms in the present moment mm -hmm. were once adaptable. They kept us safe back then. So let's say we're in chronic anxiety. So that anxiety was an attempt to keep us safe from what could happen to us but now it's become this chronic state. Mm -hmm. So really, again, understanding that our body is our friend, not our betrayer, that our symptoms are trying to tell us something. Um, that question I love from the somatic perspective, what is my body saying that I cannot? Tuning in and listening instead of having so much blame or self-hatred, not feeling deserving of or worthy of love, affection, attention, and great sex, like really understanding that our bodies are here to support us um, and not to betray us. I feel like that's the, the best first step. Yeah. The anxiety symptoms, going back to how it manifests in our relationship, what do you feel like some of the common emotional impacts of sexual trauma are? Oh, there are so many. Um, yeah, they manifest. It's, it's like, yeah, yeah. I, I'll do something and I'm like, was that, was that like an impact or did I, yeah, I don't know. I start questioning everything when I kind of start trying to break it down. Oh, I know because anxiety overrides cognition. If we're anxious, we can't think. And again, this is an adaptive response, but the problem is when we get stuck in this anxiety, um, our nervous system can't resettle down into relaxation and it certainly can't take in pleasure. Um, so those emotional responses, depression, panic attacks, obsessive compulsive disorders, um, difficulty connecting with other people, um, difficulty sustaining healthy relationships, poor memory, lack of attention, uh, just so, so, so many things. As a partner to someone experiencing those, and they know as a partner, you know, my, you've had sexual trauma, so I want to help you, but then, you know, we're pushing them away or we're kind of, we have a very hard time expressing our emotions. What can the partners do to help? The partners can be supportive and open to listening. Um, let me say it this way: What you what a what a survivor's partner does want does not want to do is say something like, "If you would share with your partner, they would say, oh my gosh, I never knew this about you. You look totally fine. I had no idea. Why didn't you tell me? Mm -hmm. um, what's taken you so long? Oh, and and by the way, what happened? I don't know what happened to you. Those are all the wrong things to say. What a partner should say is, "Thank you so much for telling me." Um, that sounds really hard. I'm so sorry that happened to you. Is there anything else more you want to tell me or how can I support you? So it's not in the sharing of the details that a survivor gets validation. It was bad enough. That's the end of the story. So it's really being with a partner in curiosity and in support. How can I help? And, and again, trying to validate their experience because so much of their life, they've been trying to invalidate it for themselves or it hasn't been validated by their friends or their family. 
this being with Fox, actually, and this is terrible to say, is really my first healthy relationship. I've, like I said, and I've said this many times to the listeners in the past, I am not the best. My man picker has been broke. My uh, partner picker has been broke. But it's not broke. It's because I was looking for the wrong things. And also, I wasn't being open and honest. I'm, I was a terrible partner. And there are elements of me that are still a work in progress. And easily being triggered by words of affection is something that I have a hard time with. Um, being codependent because, you know, I, I'm just struggling with that, but I'm working on it. But also confusing sex for love. You know, sex, if you, because we were told, or I was told for so long, if you loved me, you would do this. And even growing up when I got into school and, you know, I was, I was out of this abusive situation. I was still being told that by boys that, you know, Mm -hmm. who liked you in school. Oh, well, if you loved me, you would do this. So now I confuse sex and love or sex with love. And it's very hard to disconnect that. And the secret keeping Secret keeping kept us safe when we were younger. And it's hard to break that habit when you've been doing this for 40 years. So what are some ways that we can begin to overcome that? I mean, for me, I know that I'm just, when I feel like I need to keep a secret or I'm lying through omission, I guess is the best way to say it. You know, I have to ask myself, why Why do you feel the need to keep this secret why do you feel the need to not share this what about this is causing you pause but i'm a therapist and so i know to ask myself that the common person they don't know they'll just keep going with it so do you have any advice for helping those people just overcome that barrier in their relationship i i mean the way you're doing it is really the way to do it it's just cultivating that self-awareness Self-awareness takes a beat, it takes a breath, it takes a pause before we just continue to do what we've always done. Um, And the other thing I would offer is really identifying for yourself what's the difference between secrecy and privacy. So we all deserve privacy, 100%. Many of us want to keep our sex lives private or our relational lives private, or a lot of things about our lives private. But secrets, that's different because secrets and shame, there's a really close direct link there. And again, if you keep the secret, what is it saying about you? What meaning do you give it about yourself? Mm-hmm. Okay. So just kind of, you know, stepping out of out of that, which, which to your point, you've got to have that moment of self curiosity and introspection and to be able to ask yourself, okay, what am I getting out of keeping the secret? Do I really need to keep the secret? Is this something private? Is this something secret? And how is it serving me? Yeah. That how is it serving me? (laughs) I say, and and thanks to you, I I ask myself, but also clients all the time, what is your body trying to say that you cannot? Mm -hmm. That is one of my main things now. And my clients are like, I don't know what it's trying to say. I'm like, well, let's, let's think about it. What is it trying to say? Um, so what you just described, is that taking yourself to the bad movies? That was an aha moment for me, by the way, that taking um, yourself to the bad movies. I was like, wow, that was an absolute aha moment. And I'd like for you to kind of tell our listeners what that means and what that concept, how that concept can help with their healing. Yes, absolutely. This this was me. This was me in a therapy office um, several years ago with my therapist. 
telling her how I was convinced that my partner at that time was was cheating on me or was going to cheat on me with absolutely no evidence to back this up. I mean, Stephanie, you know, the survivor mm-hmm. mind, like we can tell our stories and make those like really these these big, huge projections about these awful things that are going to happen because big, awful things have happened in the past. So I'm sitting there telling my therapist all of these concerns I have. And she looks at me so sweetly and she said, gosh, it sounds like you're taking yourself to the bad movies. And what she meant by that is that literally that projection off into the future about what was going to hurt me and how I was trying to keep myself safe by by creating all of these big problems in my head. Right. Because the the scary part for us isn't usually the thing that's happening it's the fear of the unknown Mm. you know so for me what if i'm not safe in this relationship and honestly i don't think any of us can really know we are always going to be safe in a relationship for me it was like how do i know i'm safe with myself oh that's a what what do you what do you mean by that well how do i know that i can be adaptable that i can handle it Um, If I found out, you know, and and again, this was a while ago, but if I found out my partner was cheating, that 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 wouldn't be a reflection of me and everything that I didn't think I was enough of and that it would really be a reflection of him. So really, again, that I could take that I could take care of myself and I didn't have to live in this constant anxiety about what might happen, that I could like sit down, slow down and be in my present life to really learn how to enjoy it. You say it in that section, the trauma of your past lives in your body as your mind anticipates the danger in the future. You're living as if the worst will happen. Living that as, you know, that as if. It's not thriving, it's just surviving. And that surviving element sometimes is all we have until we get into a healthy relationship or until we start to heal ourselves. But breaking out of that that surviving element is so difficult. It, it, it is. And we do what we know until we know better. Right. I always, I love that, that sentence. Um, so yeah, until we get into a healthy relationship, that is true. And I don't want people, your listeners to panic and be like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to be in a healthy relationship in order to heal this. That's not what we're saying. Yeah. So there's three steps and Stephanie, I know we're going there. Um, Connection is one of them. Mm-hmm. Sexual trauma happens in relationships. Se- sexual trauma happens in dysfunctional relationship, but it's still you and another person. And because of that, there's a piece of it that has to be healed in relationship. Mm-hmm. Now, this doesn't mean a, re- a romantic relationship or a sexual relationship, but you have to be in relationship with friends, family, community, something that gives you a sense of purpose so that you step out of this place of isolation. Mm. that that isolation is such a it's a trap because you feel safe there but mm-hmm. but you know you shouldn't be there yeah so. um and and trust me i was like the the best of the best you know i just like this constriction isolation controlling everything that i possibly could to try to keep myself safe and for a lot of us um in that symptoms chapter which is chapter six It goes through the emotional, physical, relational, and sexual symptoms of sexual trauma. Um, I have uh, several paragraphs on eating disorder and disordered eating 
just because that's what so many survivors do control because it's one of the few things that we can control in our lives. So I rarely see a survivor who doesn't have some kind of issue or problem with food or exercise. I, yes, I identify with that statement so well. Uh, I was anorexic and that because I can control that. I knew I could control what I put into my body because I had no control in, anywhere else. And so, yeah, that was a, a great connection for me as well. When I read that, I was like, huh, well, there we go. And more things Dr. Holly's teaching me about myself <laughs> that I should have probably already known. But, you know, here we go. This is some great information. And we will be right back with Dr. Holly Richmond talking about sexual trauma and reclaiming your pleasure right after this commercial break. Ladies, are you ready to take your intimacy to the next level? Head over to EvolveYourIntimacy.com to learn more about intimacy, relationships, and sex counseling. And gentlemen, do you need a little bit more? Head over to our website to learn tips on how to communicate with that special someone and ignite that flame. If you enjoy our content and guests and would like to help us grow, go to our website, EvolveYourIntimacy.com to follow, like, subscribe, and comment on all of our social media accounts. Now, let's get back to the show. You know, you do know. Yeah, but that control. So that's so the first parameter to healing is control, but it's maintaining it. And even even almost more importantly, it's relinquishing it. So there's two pieces to that, maintaining control and relinquishing control. Yes, we have to be in control of our bodies. Yes, we have to be in control of our relationships and the and the um, situations we're in, the relationships we're in, but we also have to be able to relinquish control enough to trust ourselves, that we can be adaptable, that we know how to take care of ourselves and to let pleasure in. Pleasure has a really hard time getting into someone who's tightly constricted and really, really controlled. Mm. You, uh, one of one of your quotes that I'm going to use for the rest of my life is sexual pleasure is a privilege. And I, so when I first got with Fox and we were talking about all of this, no one had ever asked me what did I like sexually? It was just, you know, you, I just did what they wanted, what mm-hmm. they wanted, never what I wanted. And so when he asked me, well, what do you enjoy? I, I don't know. I, I have no idea. And I'm still discovering my sexual template, but sexual template is very, it's a very delicate thing because I don't want to, in my mindset, I don't want to make him mad or I don't want to upset him, which it shouldn't, it's not going to, but that's my survival technique. Mm -hmm. And you talk about, you know, our pleasure and our discovering our sexual template, but you talk about the two main components of that as desire and arousal. Can you talk to us a little bit about what desire and arousal, what that means in discovering yeah. our sexual template? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, really, your sexual te- your sexual pleasure is your birthright. It's something I, you know, I want everyone to reclaim. Um, and for survivors of sexual trauma, that's that pleasure is never prioritized. It's I mean, because consent isn't even there. So if we don't have consent, we're certainly not going to have pleasure. So when we talk about discovering the sexual template, and this is work I love doing with my clients, it's it's in a really exciting place. So just so your listeners can hear, this wouldn't come like your first session or your second session, where you really need to understand your trauma, get that shame in its place, let yourself off the hook, figure out the difference between sexual health and your sexual trauma, 
um, understand your symptoms, and then we move into this beautiful place of desire, which is the psychological process of wanting, and arousal, the physiological process of wanting. So I expand this out into all areas of my client's life. So we're looking at, we use the five senses a lot. Um, what feels good to you? You know, is it listening to music? Is it a bath? Is it a martini? Is it chocolate? Is it the beach? Is it rolling around in the grass? Is it laughter? So really just figuring out these little elements that they can put together to help them want more and to help them feel more sexy. And then we translate it very much into the sexual realm. They can bring it into the bedroom with themselves and with their partners. And you talk about what turns me on as the arousal. So the desire is what do I find sexy? The arousal is what turns me on. And mm -hmm. we're not we're not asked that. Or I, I was never asked that. And I'm assuming I say we because, you know, I'm just throwing myself out there as a general um, sexual abuse survivor, but you're not ever asked what do you enjoy and how do you enjoy it? And so that is, I want to give that opportunity to people who may be listening to this and, you know, have never been asked that what, what does turn you on and explore that because that does play into your sexual template and pleasure is yours. You, you deserve that. That is something that you, I love how you say it's a birthright. Yeah, yeah, abs absolutely. Um, and, and it gets confusing because, um, and, and I go into this more in the book, but if your fantasies of what turns you on are in some ways linked to your trauma, mm -hmm. so please know that makes sense. I see it all the time. But the work is deciding if, if you can, let's say, let's say it was spanking. Right. Mm -hmm. Let's say your abuser spanked you, but now you have this fantasy and spanking really turns you on. Like if you're watching porn or if you're imagining in your head, you go to spanking and you know, you will always be able to get off. So what I do with my clients in this situation, okay, do we, do we need to integrate that? Do we need to reframe spanking so you can see it in a healthy way and not go back to your past, but have it living here in your present sexual template, in your present pleasure, so you can still use it as a tool for eroticism? Or when you're fantasizing and that spanking pops up, is it so dysregulating to you that we really just need to help you be mindful of it? You notice it, say thank you, but no thank you, put spanking to the side and choose another fantasy. Is that what you mean by creating connections? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, just again, for so many survivors, they have rape fantasies or, mm -hmm. you know, forced seduction fantasies. And of course this makes sense, but remember a fantasy is your, in your mind. So everything that's happening in there is purely consensual and you're in control of your mind. So it makes sense that you have the power there. Um, and it's a really ubiquitous fantasy. So many women in particular have this forced seduction fantasy. It's why romance novels yes. exist, right? <laughs> so it's normal and it's really kind of high up on the list for survivors as well. Um, but just creating connection between what you're feeling, what you know, what your your sexuality wants to express, how it's tied to your trauma, because, you know, Stephanie, thank you for saying at the beginning. There's really not much of your life that isn't like in some way informed by your trauma. Mm -hmm. But now as an adult, you get to decide what comes in and what doesn't. But you have to be really mindful of those processes and those triggers. Mm, yes. And unfortunately, I'm I am just learning the triggers and 
you have to be in a healthy space to do that. I understand that and I preach that and I talk to my clients about it, but I don't practice that because I never knew how. I never allowed, I, I guess I knew how I never allowed myself to because it was just, you know, that's, I'm okay. I just kept telling myself, I'm okay. We'll just get through this. It's okay. But I never allowed myself to go there in those deep recesses and, and figure out what my sexual template was and why I liked what I liked. And to be completely honest, I'm just now turning page one of mine and, and learning what I like. So I know that it's very hard for some people and it's okay. I wanna encourage people. It's okay if you don't know what you like yet. I'm 40 years old and have no clue and I learn every day. So Yeah, beautifully said, it's, it's never too late. Um, you know, I have clients who come to me 50 years after their sexual trauma and are, and are just figuring it out. Mm -hmm. So um, I just, I so support that process. Yeah, absolutely. So sex with intention, how is that different than just sex? Mm -hmm. Because it's, it's giving you a roadmap to what you want to feel, not what you want to do, but what you want to feel. So whether the sex is with yourself or whether the sex is with a partner, it becomes more about pleasure and less about performance. Um, I think that's the clearest way mm -hmm. I can say it. Now, and you also talk about using Tantra with your clients. How do you, how do you integrate that? Mostly through, um, so I start with a lot of eye gazing, and I know it sounds really simple, mm -hmm. um, but eye gazing is such a deep, connecting, and erotic practice. Mm -hmm. And when I say erotic, I mean life force, vitality, vivacity, creativity. And can you imagine what happens when all of those elements get brought into your sexual life? Sex just becomes better. It's not an act, right? It becomes so much more than an act. It's a, it's a feeling. And again, whether this is with just yourself or with a partner or partners. Mm. So you're giving us permission to reimagine our sex. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Whatever that looks like for you. Um, and please hear me. This can include penetration. It might not include penetration. Oral sex, no oral sex kissing, not kissing, any of the things. So I just, I, I so encourage the people I work with, what do you want your sex life to feel like? Um, because it doesn't matter what society tells you it's supposed to be. This is really your time. This is the time in your life when you get to decide. Mm. And that brings us to your social declaration. Can you tell us more about that and just taking back that, that power? Yeah, it's... <sighs> survivors aren't broken the system is mm -hmm. um it's it's just we live in a world in that supports rape culture that supports survivor blaming victim blaming um that doesn't believe survivors that goes by this well it couldn't have been that bad well why didn't you tell me well tell me the details to 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 get some kind of validation and that's just a world that we need to be moving away from so the three things survivors can do to really make this a social declaration, reclaim pleasure for themselves, and you know, hopefully move things forward in our world is to tell your story, stop being silent about it. And by that, I don't mean you have to tell everybody, but you need to tell a therapist, you need to tell a friend, you need to write it out. This needs to live somewhere other than inside your body. Mm -hmm. You need to empathize dare to empathize. So with, with, even with yourself, that letting yourself off the hook, 
empathizing with others, um, letting them love you, because usually survivors are so good at giving, but it also has to be this, this receiving. Um, and then have great sex. There's nothing better than great sex to throw in the face of a broken system of, of what we're all trying to reclaim. Um, and again, that pleasure is our birthright. Mm-hmm. And when you say have great sex, sex is subjective. Mm-hmm. What is great to you might not be great to me. And that is where we fall back to this template. You can always, once you create that template, you can always go back there to have great sex. And, you know, we're all, let's be honest, sometimes sex is just, eh, it was okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, and that's okay too, because all sex is great sex as long as it's yeah. consensual. And yeah. um, it's, it's empowering, but you have to be vulnerable in order to open up and allow yourself the grace you need. I find that so many people have such a hard time being vulnerable because that's just not something they've been taught in their life. Mm-hmm. And, and it's been far too risky as a survivor where things, bad things did happen and things weren't in their control. So yeah, that piece of daring to empathize, mm-hmm. it's really about creating and cultivating vulnerability and, and authenticity, but with people who deserve that, right? So still maintaining those healthy boundaries, but not being so constricted or locked up in control that we're not allowing in that pleasure and that connection and those tantric pieces um, tantra, the weave that we really deserve. And that, that weave can be with ourselves. It can be with our family, our friends, our partner. But I do think there's this bigger social picture um, that we ke- have to keep stepping towards. Okay. Yep. That weave um, is so, that that's I le- beautifully said. It's just a weave of, of emotions and a weave of feelings. What got you into the tantra element? I think just like the somatic piece of it, um, because again, it's a, it's a felt sense. Tantra is really, people think it's about crazy positions or extended orgasms or delayed orgasms. Um, but it's really about a felt sense in integration of sex and self. And in the somatic psychology world, that's, you know, that's key so that we're not we're not differentiating again. So there's me and there's my sexuality. No, they're one and the same. And how do we bring those together in a way that feels really aligned with who we are? Mm. And I'm not going to go into this because my, our listeners, you've got to get this book, guys. But one of the things that you talk about in the exercise for um, the weave is to invite your partner into a space that feels not only safe and comfortable, but also sexy. You can use this, you can use a timer or trust your intuition. What did you mean by that? Bringing them into a space that is sexy. So, I mean, this is again, subjective for everyone, but typically sexy isn't like a really messy space. Sexy isn't having like a work email up on your computer at the foot of your bed. So it's really being intentional about the space you create, which can be maybe the typical romantic things like music and candles, or it could be having like your favorite throw blanket on the bed or it can be massage oils or certain scents that you like or food. Just again, something that feels sexy to you. Um, Not just, okay, let's get in bed and the dirty clothes are all over the place. So making it special in some way. So intention, putting some thought into it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
and, and it doesn't have to be like a big deal. I, I love quickies as well. Quickie sex can be great sex too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for, for some, especially if you're going to incorporate these tantric elements that do take some more time, really being intentional about your space is, is part of that process. And, and I, that's exactly what I wanted you to hit on because we're, we're yeah. so caught up in the actual act of it. You know, am I doing it right? Am I, is my partner happy? Am I feeling satisfied? But we don't really think about the space around it and the space we create. Sometimes we just get so involved in life that we forget that you can make your space sexy just by doing small little touches. Mm-hmm. And that extends into the kind of metaphorical too, just how this space in ourselves mm-hmm. to, to bring in eroticism and not just, oh, let's get this done because we haven't had sex in two weeks and I need to check this off the list to make sure my partner's happy, right? Like that's not it. Yeah. That's the exact opposite of what I'm talking about. But that's so common for sexual abuse survivors for, for us mm-hmm. to say, you know, okay, well, because we confuse the sex with love and we think, oh, I have to give sex in order for them to love. And so we put ourselves in situations that maybe we don't necessarily want to be in. It's not terrible, but you know, oh, I got to check off the old bucket list for this week and, and give them what they want. So they keep coming back. And it's almost like an obligation instead of a, a birthright. It is. Mm-hmm. It, that's a beautifully said. I can't even add anything better. Yes. Yeah. It's an obligation. <laughs> and it's, and I really want to encourage people who are listening to this, that it's, it's not an obligation at all. You, you can say no to your partner. You can say no to your husband, your wife, your um, extended partners. If you're in an open relationship, you don't have to do anything and that's okay. They're still going to love you the same. And if they don't, well, then you're not in a relationship worth keeping. Right. Right. Absolutely. And again, redefine sex for, for you. Sex one day might be really having deep, hard penetration. And the next day it might be, oh my gosh, I'm not interested in penetration at all. I just want to lay here naked and cuddle with you. Mm -hmm. Right. But for a lot of survivors, they don't even feel like they have permission to say, Hey, I want this, this day and not this, this day. Sex is not a steady state. It's, it's always changing. Yeah. And I, I know that that's a common frustration, especially for Fox, because he'll ask me, what do you want? And I'm, I can't verbalize it. I don't know. He'll ask me, you know, well, tell me about a fantasy. I, I don't fantasize. I've never been allowed to do that, I guess. I never allowed myself to do that. So I don't know. And there's a lot of work that I'm doing on myself throughout all of this. And I mean, we're not perfect. Counselors, we, I feel like we're the most messed up people. That's why we're the best counselors because we're all messed up. But allowing yourself that, that freedom and that choice to say, you know what? I am okay. I am messed up, but I'm okay. I'm not, I'm not broken. I just, my pages are a little crumpled, but they still, they can still be read. So yeah, allowing that freedom and wow. So this, I'm telling you, this book, guys, you have really got to get it. Um, where can they get this book? Any major bookseller. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, Goodreads is doing a giveaway as of today. So um, you can enter for a free copy. You can go to my website and order it. So drhollyrichmond.com. Um, you can go to my Instagram and link in my bio to order it. So all all kinds of areas. Um, and Stephanie, I too want to say if people feel like they need therapy, 
but the cost of therapy is prohibitive. I'm trying to solve this problem to the best of my ability. Um, I'm creating an online course around reclaiming pleasure. So it will be a 10 module course that people can do at their own pace, um, led by me. And I'm also going to offer group coaching starting in January. So oh, wow. we will get to have group coaching experiences again, just to, to try to solve this, this problem of, of the high cost of therapy where I can. I, I wish I could not have to, um, you know, make a living from doing this, but I do. So um, anyway, this is, you know, just my offer to somehow try to make, you know, even more of an impact than, than what the book can do. I love it. And, you know, you can find her on Holly Richmond or is it drhollyrichmond.com, right? Yep. Dr. Holly Richmond. Yep. Awesome. I appreciate you taking your time. As always, you are one of my favorite guests to have on here. And I, you are so impactful for me. And, and I have a Fox, you were on last time and you told me that I needed to start making decisions and whatnot. And so when I don't make a decision, Fox will tell me, now remember, Dr. Holly said you need to make decisions. <laughs> <laughs> so he holds me accountable. So I can start working on that and, and taking more of a active role in our in our sex life and just in our life in general, because I'm okay with whatever. Just let's do it. Let's have fun. But I, no, speaking, I, I love him. He's fantastic. No, you get you need to say what you want and just take time, slow down, tune into yourself enough to figure out what it is you do want. Yeah. He'll be fine. Yeah, sure. He'll be fine. <laughs> well, again, thank you. And um, tell everybody where they can find you one more time. And then I'm going to let you enjoy your day. Yeah, on social is probably where most people are. So Instagram, Facebook, at D-R-H-O-L-L-Y-R-I-C-H-M-O-N-D, at Dr. Holly Richmond. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Tell Fox I said hello. I will. I will. And you have a wonderful day. Thanks. Bye. So I'm editing this show to add some updates from the Reclaiming Pleasure book and the workbook that I've been working on for myself. It's been a few months since I've been working through it, and I've been working with other clients on it. We have a whole book club that we've been working through together. This book, it breaks down sexual trauma in a way I haven't ever experienced it before, but then again, you know, I'm still dealing and healing from my sexual trauma. I'm allowing myself to actually feel again to actually enjoy sex and not feel ashamed of it. You are so worth it. The amount of shame, stigma, trauma, bullshit really is the word I'm going for that we go through as sexual assault survivors because no one tells us that it's going to get easier. No one tells us that it wasn't our fault. No one tells us that we're going to be okay. What they tell us is, we're dirty. Their looks tell us we're dirty. Their their statements make us feel like we did this to ourselves. Like we said, hey, you know what? Come do this. Ladies and gentlemen, read through this book. Work through the workbook because it is a workbook. It's a, it's a, it's a, a phenomenal workbook. And really release that shame. Release that guilt and reclaim your pleasure because damn it, you deserve it. And I don't give a damn what anybody says. We all deserve pleasure and you deserve it as well. So that's my recap after working with a book for several months and coming back and working with some clients throughout the book and really just taking time for myself. So this is a really raw review of her workbook, one of the best books that I I can recommend to anybody at this point who has had some trouble in their past. And I want to encourage you to reclaim it. And Dr. Holly Richmond's book will definitely help you do that. Guys, I look forward to hearing from you. And as always, 
Don't hesitate to reach out if you need us. Good night. Hello, everyone. This is Fox from Evolve Your Intimacy. And Stephanie and I would like to thank you for trusting us with your journey into relationships, intimacy, kink, and all things sex education. If you find yourself in need or wanting to know more, please head over to our website at EvolveYourIntimacy.com where you can book a free consultation, read articles, and listen to free resources. You can also sign up for fun all around the world. Remember, you are not in this alone, and we are here to help. All right, friends, tune in again next time for another hour of The Sexy Lifestyle, talking about sex, sexuality, sexual health, and, of course, pleasure. Oh, and all the fun ways that you can spice up your sex life. Well, that's it for our show today. On behalf of Carol and David, we are Stephanie and Fox from Evolve Your Intimacy, sending you lots of love and great sex. Please stay safe and, of course, stay sexy, everyone. Until next time. Thank you for joining Carol and David for this week's edition of The Sexy Lifestyle. We've got another one lined up next Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The weekend is just around the corner, so try something new, spice it up, and you just might have the best sex ever. 